Well, because of the death and the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ, death has been conquered. In fact, Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and he is the way and the truth and the life. Now, the problem is we still see death every day. We've heard of people who maybe had near-death experiences. People talk about things like that. But we've also seen in the Scripture that there were people who died and they were brought back from the dead. So I want you to think about a little bit of a difference here, the difference between resuscitation and resurrection, okay? Resuscitation is where you live, you die, and you live again. You come back in the same body and you die again. Resurrection is you live, you die, you live again, new body, and you never die again. And that's what we're thinking is, and because sometimes people will see somebody in the Scripture, they died and they were raised from the dead, and they say that's resurrection. That's actually resuscitation. Resuscitation, you think of Lazarus. Remember Lazarus was in, uh, you know, he died and he was dead for four days, and then Jesus comes and raised him from the dead. We also think about the 12-year-old girl who uh, they came to Jesus and said, my daughter's real sick, and before they even got there, she had died, and Jesus said, don't, no, don't think about that. They got there and raised her from the dead. Remember the widow at Nain that were coming out of the city with uh, a widow who, who her only son had died and uh, she was by herself completely and there were a whole bunch of people there and Jesus stopped everything and raised him from the dead. Those are called resuscitations because they lived, they died, they lived again to die again and they lived in the same body. They came back in the same body that they had died in. So that's resuscitation. When you think of resurrection, Jesus Christ is the first one to ever rise from the grave to have the new body to never die again. So if we think about the order, we saw Jesus first, and then one of these days the church, Jesus Christ is going to come in the clouds of the dead, and Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain to be caught up together with him to meet the Lord in the air. That's a resurrection, resurrection of the church. And then when Jesus comes to set up the kingdom, Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 says, the Old Testament believers will be raised then. So there is, there is resurrection, which is to re- be raised and have a body that will never, never decay and live forever. There is resuscitation in which a person dies and then they're raised from the dead and, and then they have that same body and then they die again. So that's really sort of the difference. Well, this morning, we're seeing the story of the life of Elijah, in the life of Elisha that this woman has a son and he dies and she sent word to Elisha, uh, please come, come do something. Well, let me, let me remind you of of, uh, of what we're going to see because he, he sends, uh, Lasha sends his uh, helper named uh, Gehazi and we'll see what happens. So there's a lot of, lot of good things. So let's go back, look quickly at verse 18 of Second Kings chapter 4. When the child was grown, now let me remind you of this. Elisha is the one that asked the woman to come and, and said to her, what can I do for you? Because remember they had, uh, had a house and Elisha would go by and the woman was fairly wealthy and she and her husband decided they would fix a room for Elisha. And they told him, anytime you want to, you can stop in here and eat. We have a room for you. Have a bed up there. Have a table. Have a lamp. Have a chair. Everything's for you. And so Elisha started using that. That's really a neat thing. And Gehazi as well. That's his helper. And so they asked her, what can we do for you since you're doing all this for us? And she said, well, I know nothing really. And Gehazi said, well, you know, her husband's old. She don't, have a, she don't have a son. She don't have anybody to follow after her. And so Elisha said, by this time next year, you'll have a son. And sure enough, she did, and it was fantastic. And then you get to verse 18. It says, when the child was grown. Now, when it says grown, it doesn't necessarily mean he's 25 years old. It probably could be between 14 and 15 years old. He's younger because we'll see why in just a minute. The child was grown. That day, he went out to his with father to the reapers. He's going out to help. He said to his father, my head, 
my head. And he said that to his servant. And they said, get him inside. Take him inside to his mother. They took him inside to his mother. Now notice verse 20, when they had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her lap. Now this is why I don't think he's some grown big old man. He's, he's probably a boy uh, and he's sitting on his mother's lap and he dies. And, and you know, if you're the woman, you think, well, th- this is the one that Elisha, Elisha promised me this son and now he's died, and she doesn't understand what's going on. And so we saw last week some really unusual things. First of all, she took her son, who's dead. She took him upstairs and put him on Elisha's bed. She came back down and apparently did not tell her husband that the son had died. And all she tells her husband is, I need a donkey really fast. I, I need to go somewhere. I need to go see Elisha, and the father doesn't know what's going on. He says, "Ah, this is not the time to go. I mean, this is not the new moon. It's not a Sabbath day. Why do you want to go? And she said, I got to go. And so she leaves, and she's going fast. She tells the driver, don't slow down unless I tell you to slow down. And so she goes to the man of God to Mount Carmel. That's the plan for her to go. And if you remember, she was living at this place called Shunem, and Mount Carmel is over here. And it's maybe 20-something miles and so here's the thing that I wanted you to think about. The boy has, has died, okay? It takes time. She, think about taking him up the steps, laying him on the bed, coming back down, asking for the donkeys, finally getting the donkey and everything, getting on the donkeys, making a 20-mile trip. So think about this. Oh, so even if she gets over there, I mean, how much time has passed? I mean, it could be four or five hours already, maybe more. And by the time they turn around and come back, could be another two, three, four hours. So by the time they get back, the son may have been dead 10 to 12 hours already. I mean, it's not like he, he died and three minutes later they resuscitated him somehow. We're talking about a while. And so she's going to make the trip. And so verse 25, so she went and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And when the man of God saw her at a distance, he said to Gehazi, a servant, behold, here's that Shunammite woman. He says, basically, here she comes. What, what's the problem? And this is the thing that we talked about last week. If you notice, he sent Gehazi out there. And verse 26, please run to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she says, what? It is well. Now, it's not well. But why does she say it's well? Because I don't think she wants to talk to Gehazi. I don't think, I want her to say, I think she's saying, don't bother me right now. Everything's fine. Let me go talk to the main man. Because she wants to talk to the prophet. She wants to talk to Elisha. She wants to talk to the man who promised her the son. And so uh, she goes up to him. And remember, when she came, she fell down in front of him, and and, uh, she came to the man of God. She caught a hold of his feet. She's hugging him. That way, Gehazi comes up and says, get that woman away from her. But he says, no, no, no. Elisha says, no, no, no. Leave her alone. For the Lord has hidden this from me. He didn't know what had happened. Now, as a prophet of God, sometimes God would give him all kind of direct revelation. And I'm sure that Elisha is saying, I wonder why God is not letting me know what's going on. You could see the woman saying, I wonder why God let my son that you specially gave me, why would you let him die? And so he doesn't know what's going on. And finally it says that uh, she told him, verse 28 says, did I not ask for something from the Lord? Did I not say don't deceive me? And she said, I didn't really ask for all this. And uh, she comes and Elisha knew something was wrong because she fell down. She did all these things. So now he finds out. So look what he decides to do. You remember, Elisha apparently is older and uh, uh, the woman is older. And so they send Gehazi, and Gehazi is apparently younger. And so it says, then he said to Gehazi, gird up your loins, take my staff in your hand, and go your way. If you meet any man, do not salute him. If anybody salutes you, don't answer them, and lay the staff on the lad's face. 
He says, go as fast as you can. He says, Gehazi, don't even stop for anything. You, you can go faster than us. I know you can make it faster. So you head out. You get there. You find the boy. You take my staff, which is my prophet's staff, and you lay it on his face, and that should do the trick. You know, I mean, that's what he's thinking. I mean, what, what else would he think? He knows Gehazi can get there ahead of him. So he said to Gehazi, gird up your loins, which back in those days, you remember, there was like longer like things, and the, they had a belt, and if you picked this up and tucked it in here, that was called girding up your loins because you could run faster and not step on it and trip or anything. And so girding up your loins just meant basically get ready to run faster. And so he's running faster. Go your way. If anybody starts to stop you, like say, hey, you want to talk for a minute? No, you don't want to talk to anybody. You just got to get there as fast as possible. Then the mother of the lad said, remember lad, I mean, he's still a boy. As the Lord lives, as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And he arose and followed her. So she says basically to Elisha, I'm, I'm not going unless you come with me. And so he says, okay, we'll go. So they're sending Gehazi first. They're coming later. And so what's going to happen? Verse 31. Well, anyway, the mother, let me put this up. The mother's going to follow with Elisha. So this is where we sort of stopped last week. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And, of course, if people read ahead, you should have read ahead. You should have seen what's going to happen because it's an amazing story. Because watch what happens. Then Gehazi passed on before them, laid the staff on the lad's face. But there was no sign of response. So he returned to meet them and told them, the lad has not awakened. So he got there before him, he went in, and he put the, the staff on there, and there's no response. He, he, Elisha found, uh, Elisha's going to come in a second, he's going to find the boy dead, but watch what happens. So he comes in, and he says, there's no response. Now, so they're going slow enough that he goes up there, tries it out, doesn't work, comes back, and meets them before they get there. And they say, it didn't work. It didn't work, there's no response. And you can almost see the mama. What do you think she thought? She thought that Elisha is a prophet of God, and, and this is Elisha's helper, and this is the staff that God uses, and, and this is the man. that. And so we know that all he has to do is put that staff right on that little face, and, and he's going to be fine. And then he comes out and says, no response. She probably goes, what? I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask for this. And, and this is not what I want. Why can't something happen? So verse 32, when Elisha came into the house, behold, the lad was dead and laid on his bed. So <laughs> the place that he's been coming back and forth and eating there and everything, there's the, the boy is, is on the bed dead. Now, <clears throat> ask yourself a question. How long has passed? Eight hours? Ten hours? Twelve hours? Six hours? Even if it was two or three hours, that's a long time to be dead, Right? You know, unless you're, you know, unless you're Lazarus and you come back from the dead and go, four days, boy, time passes when you're dead. But anyway, you know, it, you never know. And so we don't know about this little boy, but it's probably been, what, 12 hours? Maybe? Maybe? And so Elisha came into the house and behold, the lad was dead and laid on his bed. Wow. So what will Elisha do? Notice, he entered and shut the door behind him, behind them both. And prayed to the Lord. What is the first thing that he did? He prayed. What is the first thing we should do when there's trials and issues and problems and ups and downs? We should what? 
We should pray. We should take it to the Lord. This, this is our plan. This is the plan. Whenever we go to the Lord, what does Philippians 6, 4, 6, and 7 say? Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious, but in everything by what? Prayer and this pleading, supplication, with thanksgiving. There are three words for prayer, by the way, there. This word prayer means to bow down. This one means to make an intercession. This is thanksgiving. It says, let your request. There's another word that means to make a request. He says, so don't be anxious about anything, but by worshiping, and interceding and thanking God and making requests, let our requests be made known to God. Tell him, and the peace of God, which surpasses all our comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You got to go to God because there's nothing, there's really, to be honest with you, there's nobody else. There's nowhere else to go. In any trial and problem in life, there's nowhere else to go. He is our strength. He is our shield. We should cast our cares upon him. First Peter 5, 7 says, casting all our cares on him, our anxiety, because he cares for you. Listen, when you come and you say, Lord, I can't, I can't handle this. Listen, here's the truth. You can't, handle any, you can't handle anything. None of us can handle anything. Listen, we're going through life as a representative of Jesus Christ. We have his power in us. We have spiritual gifts. We have the word of God. And yet we are his instrument. He is our strength. And no matter what is going on in our lives, we have to say to him, God, you gotta, you got to work it out. You, you're the one. And they're, they're the future, you know, we, I talked the other day with somebody and we were saying about, do we really want to know the future? The truth is, I never want to know the future. I don't want, I don't want to know that I get sick two weeks from now. I don't, I don't want to know something. Do you want to know that? You, want, you don't want to know that. You don't want to know what, what God has for you because there's so many great things that he's going to bring into your life. There's going to be other things. And no matter what it is, we have to go to him and we have to say, Lord, I don't know everything. I just give it to you. And so Elisha, goes to God. The man of God goes to God. The prophet of God goes to God. Listen, if the prophet of God who gets direct revelation from God, that prophet, and can do miracles, can part a river, and, and make something look like blood and bring water up out of nowhere and all the oil that could happen and all those kind of things, if he could do that and needs to pray, what about us? We have to pray. I always think about Jesus. If you get in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, Jesus goes into the, a city, the, Peter's mother, that's where Peter's mother lives, and they come there, excuse me, mother-in-law, and they come in there, and he does a bunch of things. He goes into the synagogue, in the synagogue, he teaches, and then he leaves, and he heals a couple of people, and then he comes, and at the end of the day, it's, it's a Sabbath day, at the end of the day, it's not the Sabbath day, so everybody comes to the door because they find out where he is, and he spends probably most of the night healing everybody, and then it says, and very early in the morning, Jesus went up by himself, and what was he doing? It says he was praying. That's how it lits, lits, puts it in the Bible. He was praying. And so if the, if the Son of God who can do anything needs to maintain fellowship with the Heavenly Father. How about us? Do we need to maintain fellowship? And so when the trials and problems come, now sometimes that's the easiest time. When things go wrong, we go, oh, God, help me. And then before then, we hadn't thought about him much. The, problem, the good thing to do is think about him all the time. But anyway, what does he do? He entered shut the door behind them both and prayed to the Lord. Wow. Then what does he do? And he went up. Now, this is weird, okay? He went up and lay on the child. And he put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands and he stretched himself on him and the flesh of the child became warm. Now, the flesh wasn't warm then. Now, 
what if you were there? What would that look like? It would look weird, wouldn't it? I mean, he's got this boy, and he get, lays up on him and puts his mouth on top of the boy. And some say, well, is he giving him resusc- you know, some kind of resuscitation? What's he doing? He's stretching out his body on that boy's body. And we go, good gracious. The, the, so the body begins to get warm, and, and there's body heat. That doesn't mean he's alive yet. But so he lay on him. Now, um, where did he get this idea? To do this, I mean, do you think, would, would you have said, oh, by the way, here's the thing you ought to do in this situation, just, you know, lay on top of the boy like this. No, no, and pray, no. He, Elijah had raised a child from the dead in this way in First Kings 17. Elijah laid on a boy and brought him back from the dead. And so Elisha knows that. And Elisha says, the only thing I can think to do since the staff didn't work is to try this. And so he says he lay, lay on the child, put his mouth on his mouth, the eyes on his eyes, the hands on his hands, he stretched himself on him, and the flesh of the child became warm. But that's not it. And then it goes on to say, then he returned and walked into the house once back and forth and went up. Now, let me stop. He doesn't tell us, but he apparently did this, and the child didn't come back from the dead yet. So he got up and left. And Elisha goes back outside because notice the next verse says, then he returned and walked into the house. So he doesn't tell us, but he left, went outside, comes back in, says, walked into the house, went back and forth. Can you see him coming to the house and going, what am I going to do? What, what should I do? Right? What should I do? He returned and walked in the house, went back and forth, went up, stretched himself on him. He did it again. And guess what? And the lad sneezed seven times, and the lad opened his eyes. What? What, do you, what does it mean? He came back again, laid on the boy again, and then what happened? The boy sneezed. Why did the boy sneeze seven times? Let me, let me just face it. You're there. The boy sneezes seven times and goes, everything okay? Where, where's everybody been? What's, what's going on? You've been dead for about 12 hours, son. Well, look. Why did he sneeze seven times? Well, some people say he sneezed because he was trying to, that it was God's way of getting whatever infection or whatever disease out of his system. Some say that those seven sneezes started his heart beating again. And that's what God caused him to do, was sneeze. And we all know when you sneeze, everybody says, you sneeze, your heart stops. Well, it does something. And who knows? And it may have been that that's the way God used to get his heart going again. Who knows? But let me ask you something. Is that weird? Do you think, I mean, let's face it, he sneezes seven times. Why? And let me ask you, why not six? Five times, eight times, ten times, seven times. Seven is a, when you look at numbers in the Bible, you know, numbers, you know, one God and, you know, two something, three, the Trinity, four is the four ends of the earth, five is always grace, six is the number of man, seven is the number of God and perfection. Eight is new beginning. So seven is like perfection. The seven thrones and the seven spirits and the seven this. So seven is a number used in the Bible. There's a whole study on numerology of different numbers in the Bible. Like 40 is always sort of a number of testing. Well, seven is sort of a number of of, of some kind of spiritual aspect. And so he sneezed seven times and the lad opened his eyes. Wow. I want you to understand. This is resuscitation, of course, but God has the power over death. And that's not just for this event. That's for all time. God has the power over death. And so look what happens. Verse 36, he called Gehazi and said, go call the Shunammite. 
So he called her, and when she came into him, he said, take up your son. Don't you know, what, what was she thinking? Wow. She went in. She fell at his feet. She bowed herself to the ground. She took up her son, and she went out. He said, come get your son. What would you do? You'd do the same thing. You'd say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Prayer is the key in the problems of life, and God has the power over death. He does. He does. He has the power over death. And that's why death's not the end. That's why every person who's ever lived and who ever will live and who is living now will be raised from the dead. Every person, believer or unbeliever, is going to be raised from the dead because God has conquered death. Some people will be raised from the dead to spend eternity separated from God. It's called the second death. Some will be raised from the dead to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. It's called eternal life. Whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. Whoever does not believe in Jesus Christ does not have eternal life. It's that simple. Death is conquered for every human being. This is resuscitation because that little boy is going to die again sometime, sometime down the road. Prayer is the king. Is the king. Now, I've got something to show you because this is not the end of the story. I want you to flip over a couple of chapters till you get to chapter 8, and I want you to see what God does. Because let me just say this about God. Does God do just enough or does God do a lot? Let me ask you something. They all say, is, does God just have just enough flowers for people to look at? Or are there, are there flowers on top of mountains nobody will ever see? What about the fish of the sea? Is it just enough fish? What about the air? Is it just enough air? If somebody sucks in too much air, somebody else is going to go, I can't breathe. There's not enough air, right? No, there's more than enough of everything. God always does more than we need, right? Always. Watch what he does in this passage. So this is sometime later, at chapter 8. Look what it says. Now, Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had re- restored to life. The same woman. He says, you need to go, get up, and go with your household and surge in somewhere, wherever you can soldier, for the Lord has called for a famine, and it will last for seven years. He said, you need to leave because there's a famine coming, and it's going to last for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. She left, and she left with her household, and she soldiered in the land of the Philistines seven years. Now, what happens to her property when she leaves? Somebody else comes and takes it. That's what happened. She just left. People don't even know whether she's coming back or not. So they just took her property. So watch what happens. She's going to come back. Verse 3, at the end of seven years, the woman returned from the land of the Philistines. And so she went to appeal to the king for her house and for her field. So when she came back, she saw somebody else has her property. She says, that's my property. The only person that could solve this thing is the king. So she's going to go to the king and say, that's my property, and I want my property given back to me. Now, that's what she's going to ask for, and that's okay. She should. Now, look what happens. Now, the king at this time was talking to who? Who is it? It's Gehazi. It's the servant of the man of God. That's Gehazi. And, and, he, and, and the king says to Gehazi, please relate to me all the great things that Elisha has done. So they're talking, and Gehazi was speaking to the king, and he says, why don't you tell me? I've heard so much about Elisha. Why don't you tell me what he's done? Now watch. As he was relating to the king how he had restored to life the one who was dead. Now you can see Gehazi said, well, let me tell you, one time he did this. You don't believe this. A little boy died, and he went in there, and he laid on the boy, and the boy came back from the dead. Now while he's telling that story, it says, as he was relating to the king how he restored life to the, to, to the one who was dead, behold, the woman 
whose son he had restored to life, appealed to the king for her house and for her field. So while he's telling the story, the woman shows up and they say, this woman needs to see the king. She's got an issue. And Gehazi said, my Lord, O king, this is the woman. And, and this is her son whom Elisha restored alive. So you can see him talking, and he's saying, well, one time, one time he restored this little boy to life. It was this woman, and she had a son, and he died. And, and, and there they are right there. There's the woman, and that's her son right there. That's the one. What's the king going to do? When the king asked the woman, she related to him. She said, tell me the story. And she told him the story. So the king appointed for her a certain officer saying, restore all that was hers. Now watch, not just give her the field back. And all the produce of the field from the day that she left the land even until now. He said, this is the woman. He said, okay, give her everything back. Give her not only her land and her possessions, but give her the back pay. Give her all the money she would have had these seven years from her field. Was she asking for that? She just said, I'd like to get my land back. He says, you're not only going to get your land back. You're going to get everything that's owed to you and everything you would have had if it was your land, if you'd had it all this time. God is what? Is God good? Is God good? He's so good. He always goes beyond what we could ask or imagine. When you look at your life, can you say, God is so good to me. There's things he's done that was way beyond anything I ever thought he was going to do. I sure don't deserve any of this. And yet he, he does beyond what we could ask or imagine. Would all of you testify that in your life, God has done beyond what you could imagine in a lot of situations. You go, I just can't imagine. He just did this for me, and he just did this for me. And I really just was hoping for this, and it was even better than I thought. I could still say, oh, Lord, just let me get through Dallas Seminary. Okay, that's what I thought. He didn't just get me through Dallas Seminary. It was one of the greatest times of my life. Oh, Lord, I just want to be a pastor. Just try to, I get to do things that I, I can't believe I get to do. It is beyond what I could ask or imagine. And every one of us in this room, you could say, God, you do things beyond what we could ask or imagine. So let me give you the application so we can go to the groups. This is, let's turn to God in the trials and problems and events of life. That's what we have to do. That's what we, he knows. He knows he wants us to come to him. That's what the, the woman did. What did she do? She said, the only person I know that can solve this sort of thing is Elisha because he's the one that set all this in motion. The second thing is let's just remember that God has power over death, and that affects every one of us in this room. Because if the Lord didn't come back, you're going to die. But then God's going to raise you from the dead. And if he does come back before you die, he's going to change you just like that. In the moment of twinkle of an eye, you'll be gone. He has the power over death. Death has, does not have the victory. Death does not have the victory. That's why he says, oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, death, where's your victory? There's not one. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then let's understand that God does beyond what we could think or imagine. We pray. And you know what he thinks sometimes? You're not asking for enough. You're limiting everything. Ask God to do something great. Ask God to use you in a great way. Don't say, just use me sometime. Just say, Lord, use me to do things beyond what I could ask or imagine. And he will. He'll do things beyond what you could ask or imagine. In fact, he always does that. That's what he does.